Johnny McGregor uh, is a singer. He put together um, this video. It's based on his life uh, and around a song he wrote about his grandfather that he loved very much and was a big part of his, his life. He wrote it um, two weeks after his grandfather died. Uh, it's his story. It's got videos in it that will remind you of your videos at home. Uh, it's his story, but I think it's your story, too. Um, it's called Five More Minutes, so check this out. Just keep on 
that resonate with anybody? Um, this week it was, this song was playing through my head. I didn't even know who sang it, but I looked it up. It's been playing through my head as I drove around my neighborhood and uh, I brought my daughter to school. As I, I flipped through my Facebook and Instagram uh, accounts, my streets and my, my social media feeds were filled with children all dressed up in their new and their favorite and best back-to-school clothes. As I drove around, you saw the doting parents hovering on the street corners nearby. Many of them had cameras in their hands, taking and then posting their kids' annual back-to-school photos. I love the summer. I hate this kind of weather that we have right now. But there is something about this time of year. And those photos that go up year after year. But my love for those pictures comes with just a little bit of internal sadness. Mixed, kind of tinged with some regret. Here's here's why. Um, This is my five more minutes photo. Um, Joan and I were scrambling around trying to find an old back to school photo that had all four kids in it. Um, here's where it gets tough for me. This year, I have four kids, and they're, they're going to go kindergarten through 12th grade. That's 13 uh, back-to-school pictures for kids times four. That means I had the opportunity to take 52 back-to-school pictures. This year, I took my 51st. The other three are gone. Um, and at, this is my Caroline, who's not going to be here today, or she'd kill me for doing this, but... Um, <laughs> That, that's all that's left for me. That was my, my second to last one. Next year, I'm probably going to be trying to catch her as she jumps in her own car and leaves. And then it'll be over. Time rolls by. The clock don't stop. I wish I had just a few more drops of the good stuff, the good times. But they just keep flying right on by like it ain't nothing. I wish I had a pause button. Moments like these, Lord knows I'd hit it. Yeah, sometimes this old life will leave you wishing that you had five more minutes. See, in so many ways for all of us, September is almost like a mini New Year's. Does anybody feel that way? You see it, I mean, even in our church, right? Next week with everything restarting a kickoff, new ministries, new songs, new series, new youth leader, same old aging and rapidly hair-thinning pastor. You feel it, though, I'm sure, as you guys, as you wrapped up your summer vacations, right? You put the beach chairs in the shed. You exchanged pansies for moms and headed back to work. Here we go again. How many have already started to think, you know, it's not long till Christmas? I was in Costco yesterday, two days ago. They have Christmas stuff out. And then it'll be Easter. And then it'll be summer again. And then it'll be Christmas again. <laughs> Literally, like... Over and over, I've been thinking to myself, you know, the older I get, I'm like, I'm just going to get a fake Christmas tree. I never believed in a fake Christmas tree, but I'm like, and I'm not even going to undecorate it. I'm just going to find a place to put it because it's a waste of time. Like, I'm always taking it down and putting it back up every five minutes, it seems like. Right? It's crazy. Uh, A neighbor of mine has taken the same philosophy with his icicle Christmas lights. Why take them down? It's only going to be a couple of months until I'm putting them back up again. Raise your hand, guys, if you feel like time just keeps going faster and faster and faster. Is anybody else having that experience in their life where you're like, this is just insane. It just keeps going quicker and quicker. You know, there's actually some science around that. It's been studied. And there's some scripture around that, too. And that's what I want to talk to you about this September morning. 
Because here's the deal, we are about to settle back into our schedules and our routines. And here's what I would tell you, actually, in many ways, that is the problem. The, the perpetrator of the time crime is our routines and our schedules. Let me show you what I mean. First, here's the science around this. This is actually really fascinating. A couple of PhDs from the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of California. That sounds impressive. They actually did a study on why time seems to speed up with age. The reason? I actually thought it was just because you had a longer period of life and therefore a year is a smaller percentage. That wasn't the reason. The reason is that our brain actually encodes new experiences, but not familiar ones, into our memory. And our retrospective judgment of time is based on how many new memories we create over a certain period. In other words, the more new memories you build on a weekend getaway, the longer that trip will seem when you look back at it. This phenomenon, they dubbed it the holiday paradox, it seems to present one of the best clues as to why, in retrospect, time passes more quickly the older we get. Think about it, right? When you're a kid up until you're an early adult, you have nothing but new experiences, fresh experiences, and you're learning countless new skills. As adults, though, our lives become what? Routine. And we experience fewer unfamiliar moments. And as a result, the early years are, are overrepresented in our memory. I mean, high school, right? Why is high school, why, why am I still haunted by being bullied in high school, right? Because it's over, it takes up a bigger uh, space in my memory. It seems to have lasted longer than the four years it did. Here's the interesting conclusion. And this is what they, they, they wrote. This means we can actually slow down time later in life. We can alter our perceptions by keeping our brain active, continually learning new skills and ideals, and exploring new places. That's pretty interesting. That's the science of it. So often is, it is our routine, the ruts. I don't know. I'm a creature routine. I like routine. Uh, in fact, this week when everybody went back to school and I was like, ah, I could get back in my routine. But the problem is when we settle into these routines with our time, and, and not even just our time, with our minds and our thought patterns, it's that that makes time seem like it flies away, it disappears. And if you're like me and you just settle back in your routine, as the Steve Miller band once sang, time just keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And then I drive to the school bus stop and I go, man, can't I just get... Five, just like five more minutes. The authors of the various books that are combined into what we refer to as the Bible, they talk a lot about this specific issue. This is a, a pretty big biblical principle. And it seems that it, 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 this issue of time uh, and its quickening and its relative shortness, Moses wrote most famously in Psalm, Psalm 90, Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. In fact, in the scriptures, the writers often relate the understanding of the passage of time, understanding how quickly it's going to go by, with gaining wisdom. Now, last week, Tim was up here, and he did a great job. He spoke from Ephesians 5 about the power that is available to each of us as followers of Christ, uh, that, that's available because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to lead lives of victory in a fallen world. This week, I want to go right back to Ephesians 5, which I would tell you is probably, it might be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And I, I want to go back to it and look at what Paul, the apostle who wrote it, said about time and life 
and getting back the five more minutes. So jump in with me. Here's what he, he said. He said, see then that you walk circumspectly, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so Paul's saying he's relating the way we live our lives to a walk. And he says that you have to do it circumspectly. Other versions translate uh, this, this way. They say, be very careful, not just careful. Paul's emphasizing the importance here. Be very careful how you live. Another version says, pay careful attention to how you live. Which I think most of the time we, when we settle in our routine, we really don't. Um, the Greek word there literally means to look ahead and to consider with exactness and precision how you are living. It was an accounting term for accuracy and exactness. Paul saying, don't just live your lives without thinking and settle into the mundane, the routine, the rut, and the pattern. And he relates understanding the value of time, just like Moses did before him. He says, listen, understand your days, your walk, your time. You need to live thinking about where it is you're walking. In this life, be very careful to where you're walking and where you're going. Now, if you walk without being careful of where you're going, Paul says, you are a fool. Has anybody seen somebody uh, in the city looking uh, down at their phone, walking? Where, you know, I've seen people trip off curves, right? Boof, off the curve. Uh, if you're not looking where you're walking, if you're not very careful with how you live, you wind up not where you wanted to go. When I was dating my wife, I got up early one morning to go to work, and uh, I got in the car, and this isn't really a walk, but it's a drive, and it's kind of the same thing, and, and so I got in the car, and it, um, literally, I have no idea what happened, my, and my wife lived about a half hour from where I lived. Uh, I'm driving to work, I got to punch a time clock and get there. I, I remember pulling out of the driveway, my next conscious memory, pulling in her driveway, a half hour in a different direction. I had no idea where I was going. I just drove. I settled into my routine, my rut. And I wound up not where I wanted to be, and I had wasted the time. The hour had gone by. I had missed the hours on the clock. I wasn't going to get paid, and I wasn't going to get them back. That hour that I blew had a cost associated to it. Not setting my eyes on where I wanted to wind up, the destination I was hoping to be in, not walking towards where I wanted to go, just walking mindlessly, cost me. I remember Joan's dad was in the driveway and he was doing some work in the yard and I pulled in and it was very early in the morning. He looks at me and he goes, John, what are you doing here? What? And I said, well, I don't really know. I was uh, going to go to work and uh, now I'm here. So uh, he wasn't a real big fan of me before that happened either. <laughs> and so I didn't look all that wise. I looked like a fool. Because I didn't really set my destination, I just drove. How many of us, let me ask you, let's be honest, how many of us walk this way? It's September. Back to school shop, kids back on the bus, we go back to work. It gets dark earlier soon, holidays come, holidays go, back to work. Days get a little longer, summer comes, summer goes. Back to school, back to work. Oh, it's Christmas again. Joan, where did I put that Christmas tree I put away last year? Remember I said I was just going to put it away? But then every once in a while, every now and then, something happens. We lose 
something or someone, our kids grow up, you take your 51st of 52 back-to-school photos, and a lament comes over you and goes, man, if I could have, I just, if I could have just had five more minutes. And so Paul goes on, he goes, look, be very careful how you walk, live not as fools, live as unwise, and then he says this, redeeming the time. Now, this is pretty cool because Paul actually uses a second accounting term in the same sentence. And I'm not trying to sound all wise and pastoral up here giving you the Greek, but it is important in terms of understanding what Paul is trying to talk about. This word redeeming, we don't use it a lot, but redeeming in the Greek is this word exagorazo. And it means by payment of a price to recover something from the power of another, to ransom back, to buy off. Paul says, you got to be careful how you live. you got to redeem the time. You want the five more minutes back that you're singing about and you're weeping over? You can. You can get it back, but it has a value associated with it. You're actually going to have to buy it back. The implication is that your time, my time, has been taken hostage. It's in bondage. It's being held by another, and that a price is going to have to be paid to buy it back. And so Paul says, go get it. You want it, go and get it. Exegorazo, as I said, it was an accounting term. It's actually used only four times in the, in the scriptures. And two times it's related to time. Go get the time back. You can get it. If there's a cost associated, but you can buy it back. And the other two times it's related to Jesus. Because exegorazo describes the gospel and what Jesus has done for you and I. Check it out. Paul uses uses it twice in explaining what Jesus has done for us. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us, exegorazoed us, from the curse of the law, having himself become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That, in a sentence, is the good news of Jesus Paul's saying to the Galatians, look, there was a time when you and I were under the power of the law of God and the associated penalty for breaking it. Paul told the Romans, look, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. All All of us have broken that law and all of us have a penalty due. There is a cost due for violating the law. Paul referred to it as a curse, but he says this, Jesus redeemed us. Jesus, at a cost, bought us back. Out of bondage, out of slavery to the law and sin and death, and the cost was borne by Jesus on the cross. That's the tree they're talking about here. He uses it again in chapter 4. He says, even so we, who, who, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Remember that, because I'm going to come back to it. But when the fullness of time had come, just at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to exegorazo, to buy back at a cost those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus, again, at his cost, and what a cost it was, redeems us, he buys us back from the penalty that was due all of us under the law. That's why Paul later would say to the church in Corinth, he says, your lives, even your bodies, are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were redeemed. You were lost. Somebody went and paid something for you and bought you back. 
But then he uses this interesting phrase here in Galatians, and I think it provides an understanding for, for us uh, about who's taken hold of our time. Because Paul's teaching that your time has actually been taken away. Paul says we're, we're held in bondage under what he refers to as the elements of the world. This is what I mean. It's not that just your time is flying by. It's that your time is actually being held captive. Somebody took it. It can be redeemed. It can be bought back. The five more minutes you want, you can actually get. But somebody has it, and you're going to have to pay a cost to get it back. And here's how Paul finishes the sentence to the Ephesians. He says, be very careful then how you walk, how you live, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. You can buy back the time. Why? Because the days are evil. This week, uh, I didn't know what I was going to talk about because we're kind of in between the summer series and uh, kickoff next week. So I'm thinking, what am I going to talk about this week? And we were in staff meeting and I'm driving to work and I'm singing five more minutes and kind of crying. And uh, we sat in staff meeting this week and uh, I think Tim brought up a game that is kind of sweeping around on the internet. I don't remember the exact name of it, but essentially it's like the suicide challenge or something. Have you seen this? Um, I don't even like talking about it, honestly, but... Uh, it's some phone app, and it challenges kids to do all these challenges, and uh, eventually up to suicide. And if you don't do it, it instantly puts this horrible kind of satanic image on your phone, uh, and you can't get it off your phone. I'm sitting in a staff meeting, and in my mind, I'm just going, man, the days are evil. I wish I had five more minutes. The days are evil. Gee, I guess I know what I'm going to talk about. Paul says, look, you have to look at where you're walking. You're going somewhere. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't look where you're going, you're going to wind up somewhere you don't want to be. Then he actually says, look, there are elemental forces at work in the world that just naturally take you to where you don't want to go. If you do nothing, you will wind up swept up in its current. If you don't wake up, if you don't redeem, if you don't go and buy back the time, you're going to wake up in your 40s or 50s and you're going to say, what, ha- what happened to my life? This isn't what I wanted. This isn't where I wanted to be. It's not what I, wa- it's not what I wanted for my life. Can I just get five more minutes with my kids? And if I had to do it over again, what would I do with them? Couldn't I just get five more minutes back with my wife? Maybe if I had thought about it. See, at some point, all of us, if we don't wake up, wind up in the same place where the truth is you can't get it back. To which the scripture says, you fool. See, this is... Paul's giant wake-up call to all of us. He's saying there's something in the culture, in the elemental forces of this fallen world. Paul and the other writers of the scriptures teach on this. I'm not going to get into it too much today. Jesus, Jesus actually speaks of it, that there is something in the brokenness of the world we now live in, a force, a power, almost a gravitational pull, pulling us towards sin and away from God towards foolishness and away from wisdom, towards getting ourselves involved in things 
acts, patterns, ruts, belief systems that will wind up if you do nothing, if you just pick up your feet and go with the flow, if you do what everybody else is doing, you will wind up in a place you do not want to go. And the world will be quite content to carry you there. Many of us know this. Many of us feel this. Men, when you come home from work at the end of a tough day, is the gravitational pull towards your wife who has been dealing with work and kids all day, is the gravitational pull towards her to listen to her, to rescue her from dinner and dishes? Oh, wait, there's something going on here. I'm just, honey, I'm being inexorably drawn towards the dryer to fold this for you. I don't know what it is, but I, I just, when I just relax and don't even think about the way I live my life, I find myself doing the laundry, honey. Or is there, does there seem to be a gravitational pill towards the couch and cocktails? Which is it? Why does one just, I just move, you know, I move towards? I have a, there's a pattern, not just in my mind, but in my carpet from when I come in to where I go. It's usually not towards the laundry room. Now, see, we all feel this, this pull, this force. And if we're not very careful how we live, what happens? We go to school. We get a job. We start a family. We raise a family. We retire from the job. See, this is what everybody's doing, right? And we hope that our health lasts long enough to, to travel somewhere or to catch a lot of fish. And then we die. It's horribly normal. Most of the time, in between with those things, we watch TV, we play on the computer. See, I never think about all the things that I'm doing in life. I, most of the time, I just do them. I settle into my routine. I mean, I know my Monday, I, I work on my talk, and Tuesday, I have staff meetings. Tuesday afternoon, I meet with people. Wednesday, I work on my talk. Thursday, afternoon, Thursday all day, I, I work with the staff, and, and I meet with people. Friday and Saturday, my days off, and here I am Sunday. Next thing you know, tomorrow morning, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on my talk for next week. And, and in between, I watch the Mets, which is painful in its own right. There's some real wasted time. Paul goes on. He says, listen. Therefore, because the days are evil, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other translations, Paul says, don't be a fool. Understand, acknowledge, face up to what the Lord's will is for your life. His plan for your life. Listen to me. If you, if I, you get anything out of my ministry here at Mendham over all these years, and that hurt, I just want to let you know. If you get anything out of my ministry over these years, this is it. God's plan for you is not to save money for 40 years, get a Tommy Bahama shirt, and move to Del Boca Vista phase two. That's not his plan for your life. That's my plan for my life, but it appears, as I read the scripture, it is not his plan for my life. If you want five more minutes, you're going to have to redeem the time, buy it back, and here is how you do it. Paul wrote leading into this discussion, he goes, be imitators of God in everything you do. And then you'll represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters. And continue to walk. Here's the walking thing again, right? How we live our life. Continue to walk. Remember before he said, be careful how you walk. Now he says, continue to walk. Surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ. 
For he surrendered his life, right? Here's the redemption piece, as a sacrifice for us. Jesus redeemed us, bought us back by surrendering his life for us. We get our life back. We can redeem our time, get the five more minutes we're looking for, not by surrendering our lives uh, on a cross. What a deal this is for us, by the way. Jesus surrenders his life on a cross. We find life, we redeem the time when we surrender our lives to the extravagant love of God. Surrender your life to the extravagant love of God. We get our lives and our time and our five minutes back. Not when we just go along doing whatever the culture does, whatever the world tells us to do, but instead Paul says, wake up, you sleeper. Actually, he says that in, in, in this chapter. Wake up, just for a moment. And, and if you would raise your head up out of the rut and think to yourself, Look, I'm not being an imitator of God. If I would surrender to his love and believe in his ways and trust in his plan and believe in his direction. Paul actually gets more specific to the church in Ephesus who was struggling with the same cultural issues that we do. The same issues that you see in the Bible. Uh, Andy Stanley does a good job of this. He always says, you know, you should read your Bible um, because this stuff is actually in there and could change your life, right? Like, you don't have to wait for me to explain it on Sunday. You could read this at home too. But... Here's, here's what Paul says, because the, the Bible is not, uh, I know it's old, but some things never change. For instance, here, here's what Paul said. He goes, listen, following on surrendering your life as, 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 to Christ, the love of Christ. He goes, look, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these aren't for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, pure, or greedy person is going to inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping what? The things of the world. Now today is almost a national holiday, right? Does anybody know what it is? It is kickoff Sunday. At 4 o'clock or so, I'm going to be watching my Dallas Cowboys kick his Carolina Panther jersey wearing right now his butt on their way to their sixth Super Bowl championship. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Who's going to watch football today? Raise your hand if you plan on watching some football. Okay. And if you're going to watch football, here's the question. Um, it, as you're watching it, are you going to watch more time of action in football or more ads? What do you think you'll spend more time watching, ads or action? By multiples of time, you will spend much more time watching ads over and over and over. And in those ads, do you know what we, we promoted to you over and over and over and over as you watch? Do you know what will be promoted? See, you do. All of them wind up with roots in sex and greed. Sex and greed. The smartest people in the world have been sitting around all year waiting for football season to come to figure out a way to use sex to promote greed. The next thing we know, when we take it on day after day after day after day, not watching where we walk, we wind up working our whole lives away. Why? For what they told you you needed to get. Expensive cars and bigger homes and fancy watches. See, I can say this. I'm, there's certain things that are attractive to me that, that shouldn't be, but 
the watch thing just always kills me. What, could somebody tell me the purpose of a watch? What's the purpose of a watch, anyone? To tell time. Why do you need a $5,000 watch? You ever watch golf? Golf, half the commercials are for $5,000 watches. And I'm always sitting there going, I don't understand. I, it says it on my cell phone for free. Like, why would I buy that? Uh, who could, but yet, if I'm honest, when I go to the store, I'm looking at it going, you know, that's a nice watch. Paul goes, here's how he concludes this. He goes, listen, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God's going to fall on all of those who, dis- who dis- disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Because there's this natural current that is taking you this way. And Paul's saying, listen, wake up and stop getting yourself. Don't pick up your feet and get carried away in the current. Instead, he says, you've got to wake up. You've got to look at the way you, where do you want to wind up? And if you want to wind up in a different place than you likely do, you need to stop participating in all of the things these people are doing. And you know what that is? It's a cost. If you want your five more minutes, you've got to wake up. You've got to look where you're walking. You have to be careful how you live. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't just settle into the pattern of living that the world is selling you because it's going to take you to where you don't want to go. I'm telling you, if you don't work, if you do not redeem the time, right? Other, other translations I'll talk about in a minute are make the most of the time. If you just pick up your feet in your marriage and carry your marriage, let your marriage be carried off to where it's going to go. How many, people, how many people's marriage naturally moves towards a better place? Not mine. Right? Unless I'm working on it, which is mostly working on me. I've tried to work on Joan. That's been a miserable failure. Mostly, if, it's, if I'm not working on me, if there's not a cost involved in me laying my life down for her, I'm caught up and taken away. And I wind up in a place I don't want to be. The Village Green Apartment 30A with like a fork and a shower curtain probably, right? Your marriages suffer. Your kids will suffer. And if you're not careful, you're going to wake up at 40 or 50 years old. And they're all going to be gone. And there's going to be some sober tears where you're going, oh, gosh, if I could just have gotten five more minutes. Remember exagorazo, that Greek term, to redeem Our time is being held captive by the elements of this world. We need to pay a cost to get it back. Many translations and sayings, instead of saying redeem, if you have your Bible today, that's the New King James Version, the King James Version. Instead of saying redeem, they wanted to make it more powerful because it was such a a powerful idea. So they translated it, you need, they, they wanted to put urgency to it. Instead of saying redeem the time, they said, you need to make the most of every moment. You need to exchange for your time. You need to understand that there's a value associated with your time. Don't just give it away for no reason. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, I don't know what the Holy Spirit that Tim talked about last week might be whispering to you today, but I do know this. If you would stop, hit the pause button, ask God, he will wake you up and he will reveal to you how to buy back your time, where you're being carried away to, and what you need to change. But I'm telling you, there's a cost to this. There is a cost to redeeming your time because if you just pick up your feet and let the current carry you, it will take you to a bigger... You can get a bigger car. You can work harder. You can stay at the office longer. 
You can. You could, you could watch a few more baseball games and drink a few more beers, but it, it's going to have a cost associated with your kids and your wife. If you want to redeem your time, there's a cost to it. It could be the better car or the nicer house or the smaller office or the lesser retirement. But Paul says, be careful. Watch how you live. Go and give the cost. Buy back the time. You don't want to end up where you don't want to be. Redeem. It's used four times. Two of them have to do with Jesus and the gospel. Two of them have to do with time. Here's the fourth time it's used with time. Paul told the Colossians, walk. Here it is again. Walk. How do you walk? Relative to time. Wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming, buying back the time. There it is. Walk, wisdom, redeem the time. Paul says, if you want to do it, here's how you walk. You walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Another version translates it this way. Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers and make it your duty to make him known. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity, for then you'll be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks you about your faith. See, this is not about, oh, those people, they're all bad, stay away from them. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying you just just ignore, oh, they're terrible, they're sinful people, stay away from them. What he's saying is part of redeeming your time, part of a life that is worth living, is actually starting to care about them. Walking in wisdom as you live before them and making it your duty to make him known. We buy our time back. We get our lives back when we make the most of every opportunity, not by merely going along with what everybody else is doing and saying, but instead loving others enough to speak to them with grace and truth and clarity. And we make it our duty to make Jesus known. Band, come on up. As we move towards kickoff next week, can I repeat something that I, you guys can chisel this on my gravestone. There are 92,962 people, maybe a little bit less than that, because, of, because the Lord has favored us with some of them, who live within one town of this church who do not know personally the love, hope, direction, and salvation that is available to them through Jesus Christ. Guys, here's an idea. Maybe, just Maybe if we, if you and I would focus just a little more on where we're walking, how we're living, we could redeem our time, we could get our five minutes back, we could discover the Lord's will for our lives, and we might actually, instead of wagging a finger at people or just going along with everything as if it has no cost associated with it, it does have a cost, it's your time, you can get it back. What if instead we move towards them? If we loved on them, if we were gracious to them, and we invited them along in, into a different stream. I'm going to close with a poem. We used to speak a lot of it in the church like 20 years ago. It seems it's fallen out of favor a bit. I don't know why. Maybe because it speaks too much of the costs associated with buying back our time. But there was a, a missionary in the 1800s named C.T. Studd. He, uh, he actually got a pretty big inheritance from his father, um, who was a wealthy guy and would have set him up for life. And Studd gave all the money away. Some of it he, he used to find, uh, found Moody. And uh, 
Here's, here's a poem he wrote. This is what he's most famous for. We used to talk about it in the church all the time. I haven't heard it in decades. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life. T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life. It'll soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Mendham, it's September. Don't just settle back into your rut and your routine. The years will pass quickly. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most out of every opportunity. Because the days are evil.